Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 32 is entitled The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, Parts 1 and 2. This podcast is from a new volume entitled Poet's Corner, in which I call upon the works of writers from bygone years. In earlier times, perhaps more than today, many writers drew their art from the images of the Bible. Milton wrote Paradise Lost. Spencer wrote Fairy Queen. John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. All considered classics of religious thought. There are many others. The King Arthur stories, for example, lean heavily upon the Bible for their imagery. In past podcasts, I borrowed from the works of Nathaniel Hawthorne, using his short story, The Celestial Railroad, as well as other short stories, Young Goodman Brown, for example, whose journey into the forest represents the journey we all take as we confront evil for the first time. Also, I used the medieval play Everyman, a story about a pilgrim who, called by death, had to take his journey into death, then hell, and final redemption. In this podcast, I draw upon the works of Samuel Taylor Coleridge and his epic poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. We are all on a journey, an epic journey, that begins in immortality and travels through mortality, and back into immortality and continues forever. Each of our lives is a story told in epic form. The Old Testament is a classic example of epic poetry. The epic story is marked by the supernatural, by the wildness of nature, by gods and demons, storms and strife. We all, in some ways, as Christians, can identify both with the ancient mariner and with the wedding guest, the two primary characters in the epic journey. The ancient mariner's journey is told in seven parts. Because of the length of the poem, it will take three podcasts to work through the entire journey. In this podcast, Linda and I present parts one and two. Everyone reads poetry in their own way, drawing their own meaning and conclusions. Like all great literature, this epic poem speaks to all ages. I do not wish to impose my interpretation of Coleridge's poem, nor remotely suggest this is the definitive explication. In this podcast, Linda and I shall follow the epic journey of the ancient mariner as he falls from grace, and finally receives his redemption after wading through horrendous tribulation. It is the journey that I love, and the things the mariner learns on the journey. I hope you stay with us as we attempt to present Coleridge's analysis of the nature of redemption. As the earth travels around the sun, returning to its original coordinates, the ancient mariner travels around the world, only to return to his own country. It was the journey that mattered. It is the mariner that changed. The destination was the same when he returned, but the mariner wasn't. He will never be the same again, nor will the wedding guest whom he held hostage by his glittering eye. Part the First It is an ancient mariner, and he stoppeth one of three. By thy long gray beard and glittering eyes, now wherefore stoppest thou me? The bridegroom's doors are open wide, and I am next of kin. The guests are met, the feast is set, mayest hear the merry din. He holds him with his skinny hand, there was a ship, quoth he. Hold off and hand me, gray-beard loon, soon's his hands dropped he. He holds him with his glittering eyes, the wedding guest stood still, and listens like a three-year's child, the mariner hath his will. The wedding guest sat on a stone, he cannot choose but hear, and thus spake on the ancient man, the bright-eyed mariner. The image brings up the parable of the ten virgins at the marriage feast. 
fiber wise and fiber foolish. The five wise virgins have extra oil for their lamps, and when the bridegroom delays his coming, they are still prepared. The five foolish virgins had only the oil in their lamps. They did not have extra oil, therefore their lamps burned out. While they went to town to purchase more oil, the bridegroom came, and the five foolish virgins found the door shut when they returned. The wedding guest, though he is next of kin, is not prepared to go into the feast. That is the only reason that the mariner has a hold over him. Even though the mariner lets him go, he holds him with his glittering eye. The wedding guest must hear the mariner's story. The ship was cheered, the harbor cleared, merrily did we drop, below the kirk, below the hill, below the lighthouse top. The sun came up upon the left, out of the sea came he, and he shone bright, and on the right went down into the sea. Higher and higher every day till o'er the mast at noon. When the mariner embarks on his journey, he is happy. People are cheering. The weather is good. It is a good omen. The wedding guest, however, is annoyed with the story. He grows angry, for the wedding is beginning. Though the mariner dropped his hand, the wedding guest cannot escape his glittering eye. The wedding guest here beat his breast. He heard the loud bassoon. The bride hath paced into the hall, red as a rose is she, nodding their heads before her goes the merry minstrelsy. The wedding guest, he beat his breast, yet he cannot choose but hear, and thus spake on the ancient man, the bright-eyed mariner. The mariner, unmoved by the wedding guest's discomfort, continues his tale. And now the storm blast came, and he was tyrannous and strong, he struck with his overtaking wings and chased south along, with sloping masts and dipping prow, as who pursued with yell and blow, still treads the shadow of his foe and forward bends his head. The ship drove fast, loud roared the blast, and southward I we fled. The mariners suddenly find themselves in a strange country. The ice symbolizes a kind of spiritual abandonment, an empty wilderness. The country is uninhabitable and sterile and frightening. And now there came both mist and snow, and it grew wondrous cold, and ice, mast high, came floating by as green as the emerald. And through the drifts the snowy cliffs did send a dismal sheen, nor shapes of men nor beasts we ken. The ice was all between. The ice was here, the ice was there, the ice was all around. It cracked and growled and roared and howled like noises in a swound. Suddenly, the albatross appears. An albatross is the largest flying bird in the world, with a potential wingspan of 11 feet. They can travel thousands of miles in a single journey and remain in the air for months without land. They fix their wings much like a plane and glide on the wind effortlessly. The mariners, happy to see life, befriend the albatross, as if it had been a Christian soul. At length did cross an albatross. Through the fog it came, as if it had been a Christian soul, we held it in God's name. It ate the food it ne'er had eat, and round and round it flew. The ice did split with thunder fit, the hillsmen steered us through. And a good south wind sprung up behind, the albatross did follow, and every day for food or play came to the mariner's hollow. 
In Mr. Cloud or Master Shroud, it perched for vespers nine, whilst all the night through fog smoke white glimmered the white moonshine. It is then, for no apparent reason, the mariner does the unspeakable. God save thee, ancient mariner, from the fiends that plague thee thus. Why lookest thou so? With my crossbow I shot the albatross. The albatross is a Christ figure. Killing an innocent bird, which of course with its large wingspan symbolizes the cross upon which the Savior was crucified. Metaphorically, the mariner has crucified Christ afresh with his wanton murder of an innocent bird. In the backdrop is this desolate place of ice and cold which dwarfs the ship. Its awful cracking sounds brought fear into the heart of the sailors. They could easily have been crushed. The albatross comes along and brings peace and comfort to the ship. They were no longer afraid. The killing of the albatross was senseless. The mariners are extremely superstitious, and when the weather changes for the worse, they blame the mariner for killing the albatross. The mariner also feels the horror of what he has done. Part the Second The sun now rose upon the right. Out of the sea came he. Still hid in mist and on the left went down into the sea. And the good south wind still blew behind, but no sweet bird did follow. Nor any day for food or play came to the mariner's hollow. And I had done a hellish thing, and it would work em woe. For all averred I had killed the bird that made the breeze to blow. Ah, wretch, said they, the bird to slay that made the breeze to blow. However, their conclusions are based on foolish superstitions. When the weather changes for good, they immediately praise the mariner for killing the bird. The wind precipitously drives them into a sea where no other mariners have been. Nor dim, nor red, like God's own head, the glorious sun oppressed. Then all averred, I had killed the bird that brought the fog and mist. Twas right, said they, such birds to slay that bring the fog and mist. The fair breeze blew, the white foam flew, the furrows followed free. We were the first that ever burst into that silent sea. But the weather is fickle. The winds took them into another strange country, and then the wind suddenly ceases, which is death to a ship, which is at the mercy of the wind. Down dropped the breeze, the sails dropped down, twas sad as sad could be, and we did speak only to break the silence of the sea. All in a hot and copper sky, the bloody sun at noon Right up above the mast did stand no bigger than the moon. Day after day, day after day, we stuck, nor breath nor motion, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. Water, water, everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water, everywhere, nor any drop to drink. By killing the albatross, the ancient mariners suffer a spiritual death. It is a kind of fall, and all the other mariners suffer with him. The ship represents the world, for it is their world traveling into unknown seas. This new world is filled with stranger creatures than they had ever encountered before. It is filled with putrid smells and strange visions. It is a cursed land and willed with witchcraft. One is reminded of the two sons of Aaron who offer strange fire. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. 
Leviticus 10, 1-2. The mariners die before the Lord. The very deep did rot, O Christ, that ever this should be. Yea, slimy things did crawl with legs upon the slimy sea. About, about, in reel and rout, the death fires danced at night. The water, like a witch's oil, burnt green and blue and white. And some in dreams assured were of the spirit that plagued us so. Nine fathom deep he had followed us from the land of mist and snow. And every tongue through utter drought was withered at the root. We could not speak no more than if we had been choked with soot. Everything now is blamed upon the mariner who killed the albatross. It does not occur to the other mariners, however, that they were complicit in the killing. As long as the weather was good, they praised the mariner for killing the albatross. Though they did not commit the murder, like Saul with the stoning of Stephen, they consented unto the death of the albatross. The mariner becomes their scapegoat. However, as we discover, they cannot escape the consequences. Ah, well-a-day, what evil looks had I from old and young. Instead of the cross, the albatross about my neck was hung. This is the genesis of the country phrase, an albatross hanged about my neck. It refers to the consequences of sin and other burdens, whether just or unjust, that we must often bear. A companion phrase is, the cross we bear. It has double meaning. Some burdens are permanent fixtures caused by the consequences of sin or circumstances that we simply grow accustomed to and endure. In Christian terms, it often refers to the burden of sin or guilt that we lay at the feet of Christ when we call upon Him for mercy. It deals with the steps of repentance. First, we must be aware of the gravity of sin. Sometimes, as with the ancient mariner, we must confess our sins. Sometimes, however, mere confession is not sufficient. Sometimes restitution is necessary. Sometimes repentance is a long and painful process because of the horrendous nature of the sin. Such is the case with the ancient mariner. The poem is about redemption and the price the mariner must pay to receive redemption. The author carries the mariner through the long and arduous steps of repentance. In our next podcast, we will pick up the story, for it is a story of redemption. But first, the mariner must suffer until he understands the magnitude of what he has done. The next episode describes his journey into hell. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.